Hey guys, I'm Court. And I'm Kate. And you're listening to season four, episode six of The Castle Chat. Hey, Castle Chat family, we are back with another episode for you titled Disney Legends. This is our episode where we chat about the life and career of the biggest names in Disney history. Today, we are giving you all you need to know about Bob Gurr, an iconic ride designer and engineer. So let's chat about it. Castle Chat friends, we are so glad that you are back with us. I'm sure that you possibly noticed with our intro that our sound is a little bit different. The Castle Chat has gone remote this week. We are socially distancing. Courtney is back from her Disney World trip. However, she has had an exposure to the infamous COVID. So we are recording from two different spaces this week. Typically we record side by side. So if there's a little bit of a discrepancy in the audio, just giving you a heads up that we are doing it a little bit differently this week, but it's to keep both of us safe and healthy. So thank you for your understanding in advance. But aside from our audio, we are super excited to record this in general, right Court? Yes, I am very excited to talk about the life and career of Bob Gurr. Bob Gurr is one of those Disney legends that I think his name isn't brought up a ton. And so a lot of people who are like Disney obsessed might not know all that he's responsible for, but he's done so much. If you've been to Disney World, you've experienced some of his work without question. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the quotes that he said in an interview once was if it moved on wheels in Disneyland, I probably designed it. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that goes for Disney world too. A lot of the fundamentals of things that he's invented and created himself are things that are making the parks what they are today. And even for new rides and things that have come up since those inventions, yeah, so he's done a lot in Disney World, and I think that he's definitely worth talking about. So let's jump right into what we know about Bob Gurr, starting from the beginning. Yes, we want to go through just a little bit about who he is, where he was born, how he grew up, and then go into the career that he had for 40 years um, as an Imagineer and as a part of um, working for Walt Disney directly and basically where he is today and and how he's living his life. So we're going to take you all the way through, <laughs> but we are going to start by letting you know that he was born in Los Angeles on October 25th in 1931, meaning that he turns 91 years old this year. That's pretty cool. I think about people that I know that are that age. My great grandparents are still alive and they're about that age. They're a little bit older, but just thinking about what I know of Bob Gurr and what he's still doing today, he is so active for a nearly 91 year old man. And yeah, like it is mind boggling how he's doing what he's doing. He just has no quit in him. And it seems like that's something that, you know, trends through his entire career. Once he gets started, he just has not stopped since. 
it's I hope when I'm 91 I'm still like pushing on like he is because one of the videos and like photos I see of him today I'm like you better go ahead Bob you better work it (laughs) yeah so before we jump into what he's doing at 90 these days let's go all the way back to the beginning of what led him into this type of career and what he did for Disney in general Yeah, so um, it's said in a lot of different articles about him that he was always fascinated with tools and cars while he was growing up. He was literally so smart when he was in school that teachers had a hard time keeping him occupied, which makes sense for someone that is just so intelligent when it comes to these types of things. Um, But he was actually expelled in elementary school and sent to a military school um, until about the time of World War II. Um, And the military took over the school and and Gurr went back to public school. So a lot happened during his time of just being an elementary school student. Obviously, like he lived through World War II and and went from being in a regular school, military school, and then back to public school again. So definitely a lot for a child to go through at that age. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And just thinking about kids that are like beyond intelligent, that it's hard to get them to pay attention in class or behave in class because they just already understand these concepts. And so for him to be expelled in elementary school, I'm not really sure what he was expelled for, but obviously they're having a hard time kind of keeping him in line. Um, And I don't know if that has something to do with his personality of going to the beat of his own drum or whatever it might be. But after going to military school and then being put back in public school, I think that this starts a really neat part of his career where over and over and over again, he has teachers or mentors basically speak into his career and tell him and encourage him, you know, Hey, you're really good at this. You should pursue this. And he does it and it leads him to his next thing. So something that I read and doing research for this was one of his high school teachers kind of took note of how much he enjoyed cars and drawing cars and doodling cars. And so it was actually noted in either an interview or something that he did where this particular teacher in high school said, okay, as soon as you finish your assignments, you can start doodling cars. You can start drawing cars. (laughs) And like for them to know how much he loved doing that and to also like say, Hey, like, yeah, you do have these assignments to do, but also you're good at this. So when you're done, why don't you, why don't you continue doing that? I thought that was a neat little, um, bit of encouragement that maybe that teacher didn't know what they were doing at the time, but really allowed Bob at the time to harness a skill that he didn't really know that he had, but was naturally gifted at. Yeah, for sure. I love when teachers are able to step in and really encourage students in their gifts and what they have to offer. I think also what we were talking about earlier about him being this child that couldn't really be occupied. A lot of children that are in that category are often categorized as ADHD or troublesome because they're so gifted and they can't seem to really hyper focus down on maybe academics because they're Um, creative side is flowing so much and so sometimes they can be labeled as troublesome and so it kind of makes sense that that may have happened in his in his time being in school but it obviously was the start 
of what is to come for his entire career. I mean, after high school, he went to the Art Center College of Design, and that's where he started studying industrial design. And that creative side was able to start taking off. And I think it's really amazing that he um, took that route when it came to college. Yeah, I think, again, I read somewhere that somebody along the path of high school said to him that he should pursue designer art school. Um, And so for him to jump onto that, do it, and then be able to pursue this really niche field of industrial design. um, From what I read, he was so good at what he did during his time in college that people were essentially lined up at the door to hire him as soon as he got out. And as soon as he was done with his degree, um, I think I read that this was the first time that this particular school offered a four-year degree for this industrial design thing that he did. Um, So it was pretty early in the realm of industrial design that they would have these four-year degrees and students coming through a four-year program that would be so well-equipped to join a workforce. Um, But he immediately out of college was hired onto Ford for um, doing their, their design work for their cars. Yeah. And he was only 21 years old when he was hired by Ford, which is, I mean, I guess, you're like 21, 22 when you're right out of college, but thinking about being hired full-time for one of, at the time, the largest companies is a very amazing accomplishment directly out of college. Yeah, thinking about where Ford would have been at that time in the early 50s, I guess it would be. Yeah, it was 1952. Yeah, so I mean, that's probably a huge era for them and for him to be a part of their design team, um, I think spoke a lot of his talent, but I think very quickly that job kind of lost its excitement for him. He was hired on and he had that young gun attitude of, I'm going to take on the world. I'm going to do all these things. And then his role that he was given was just to design the hubcaps for wheels of the cars. (laughs) And he got tired of that really fast. Yeah. I was someone with a brain and the create the creativity that he had, I'm sure hubcaps was the last thing that he thought would be exciting. So, yeah. So from what I understand that kind of loss of excitement that he had is really what ended up pushing him to start thinking about doing some side projects and getting a little side hustle for himself. So, um, he was a part of this cars club for these people who are car aficionados and loved everything about cars. And he met this guy who he became really close friends with and then started having like regular dinners with he and his dad. And it just so happens that this person, their dad is Ub Iwerks, another very notable Disney legend. If you aren't familiar with who Ub Iwerks is, he directly worked with Walt Disney when the Walt Disney Company was just getting started and he is responsible for the original sketches of Mickey Mouse. And after that, so many of the original sketches for all of the beloved classic Disney things that we know today. So for him to build this relationship completely outside of his job for Disney, this is just kind of his initial connection. Um, He started having conversations with and his son on a regular basis. And it just kind of came about one day that I was talking about this car project that was going on over at the Disney studios that kind of caught 
Bob's interest and just so happens that this leads him to have an open door at the Disney company. It just goes to show that it is literally all about connections. It doesn't, I mean, yes, he had the industrial design degree, but if you're in connection with the right people, it can lead to amazing opportunities. And those connections can come from anywhere. I mean, he was just in a club about something that he was passionate about and being a part of this club led him to the career that we're going to break down for you today. So, I mean, it can come from anything. It doesn't have to be related specifically to your job. It could be related to something fun you do on the side. Yeah. So that first project that he was hired for by Disney was called Autopia, which I would say is pretty similar to Tomorrowland Speedway-esque. It's like that little tiny go-kart type of ride attraction. Um, But these cars were actually like very beautiful. I think it was like a very pretty attraction. And from the pictures and video that I've seen of Autopia, um, it just goes to show the craftsmanship of his work. And I've never been to Disneyland. Um, I've done the Tomorrowland Speedway, but I'm sure that doesn't come anywhere close to like the feeling of being on Autopia. Yeah. So from what I read, Walt Disney wanted to hire somebody to create the body for these cars. They basically had all the inner workings of the car. um, And it was just kind of the, the, mechanics and the wheels on a track but then they needed the outside part that actually looked like the car to come to life and Mm -hmm. Walt Disney being the type of person that he was didn't want to just order something off the shelf that was pre-existing he wanted something new and unique and specifically Walt Disney not you know some other Ford or whatever might have been out there that he could have bought in bulk and brought to Disney he wanted something specifically for the parks that was going to be unique and Bob Gurr got the role of designing that yeah that's a huge honor for Walt to be like I want you to design this <laughs> I couldn't imagine being approached by Walt Disney himself for a project like that yeah well and I think that there was probably In terms of where Disney was, Bob Gurr was brought into this project before Disneyland even opened. And so he didn't, I think from what I read, he was brought on in 54 and Disneyland opened in 55. And so it was like, he didn't really have that much time. And his final model that he came up with was literally only put on the tracks like two weeks-ish before the park opened. So there wasn't a ton of time to get everything right, run things around, make sure it was completely ready for opening day. Um, Something that I thought was kind of an interesting little tidbit or fun fact was that there were 40 of these original Autopia cars that were brought to life. And one of the sponsors for Disneyland on opening day was an aluminum company. And so they like made this very strong request or almost demand that they have aluminum bumpers put on the Autopia cars to like support their business. And Bob Gurr was like, this is not going to go well. Aluminum (laughs) is not the right thing, but because they were a sponsor, they kind of just had to 
obey their commands essentially. Um, And so they put these aluminum bumpers on the cars and the guests within the first week bumped these cars around and the aluminum dented and broke and bent so bad that only two of the original cars on the track didn't have to be taken off and completely restructured from the damage. (laughs) That is insane. That is so, that's 38 cars. Yeah, it's a lot of upkeep. And from kind of going through the research of just Autopia in general, Bob Gurr went through seven iterations of this vehicle before it kind of found its niche and found its right um, design to not have to be replaced and fixed up on a regular basis. So he was pretty committed to getting this right for Disney, which is, you know, speaks to his character and his, you know, fix it attitude and wanting to make sure that things are done um, the right way. He could have very well said, okay, like I designed it, there it is, be done with it. But he saw that there were some flaws and some kinks in what he had created and he wanted to get it perfect. Yeah, I was going to speak on the fact that 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 really caters to his determination and um, his character, like you said. So after his job working on Autopia for Disneyland's opening, he um, was kind of having a conversation. Obviously, this is all research we've done, articles we've read, videos we've watched, interviews we've listened to. Um, But he was having a conversation with his supervisor at the time, who was Roger Brogy. Um, Roger Brogy, while Bob Gurr was working at the Disney company for the Disneyland opening um, was kind of over all of the like motorized stuff in the parks. Um, And he just kind of like made a comment of like, well, I mean, I know you're done with this project, but you could certainly stick around Disney and see what else we can figure out for you to do. Um, And I think Bob Gurr's reaction was, uh, yeah, I'll go quit my job right now if you want me to. And literally within like minutes, they walked to the employment office and he was like, okay, we're going to hire him on full time. Um, we don't know what his job title is going to be, but we're, you know, he's, he's on board. We're bringing him on. And I, from what I read, he looked to Bob Gurr and was like, what's your job title? And he got to like essentially title himself within the Walt Disney company, which I don't know that that has ever been done any other time. I I mean, if you were to be asked that question, I mean, I know in your, your type of um, field, your job description is kind of already determined for you, but to be able to create that for yourself and say like, no, this is what I'm going to be. I, that's a, that's a very empowering moment for yourself. You get to be able to kind of like pour that over your, yourself but also to do that for a company as large as Disney, like you said, who else has had that opportunity? Probably no one. Yeah, so the title that he gave himself, his official title for the Walt Disney Company when he started out was the Director of Special Vehicle Development. DSVD. (laughs) Yeah, I am the DSVD. That just sounds so like important to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was an excellent description for what he ended up doing for the company though. Yeah. I mean, so he started with Autopia and that was what really kickstarted his career, but he has gone on to, to do more than a hundred different designs for attractions. What are some of the attractions that he has been a part of in his career with Disney? 
Um, there are almost like, I mean, there are, like you said, a hundred things that he's designed. So how do you, you know, sit here and read a hundred things, but some of the main things that you would be familiar with if you've been to Disneyland or Disney world. So we talked about Autopia and then things that you might be familiar with would be the flying saucers, which are now essentially the Luigi's cars and cars land, um, like similar style, um, design for that. But the antique cars and buses that you see on main street, he designed those. I think that, uh, his design of those was really interesting and that he worked really hard to make something that would last. And what he was able to create was, authentic to the visual look and appearance of the vehicle but he also made the sound of the cars that drive through main street authentic which i think is really interesting when the bodywork underneath the car is something new age but it's still producing a sound that sounds like it's from decades past he was able to figure out how to do that and it makes those main street vehicles feel so authentic and quaint and vintage um and it was something that walt disney was in love with in the parks if you don't know what we're talking about with these antique cars or double-decker buses if you've ever rope dropped magic kingdom in the morning you will see these antique cars and buses as you enter the magic kingdom and you can actually get on them and they will take you all the way down main street to the castle and i have done i've actually done this twice and both times I don't know. It was something about it was extremely magical being like car, like charted down Main Street down to the castle and being in this like antique vehicle and the drivers all dressed up and it just makes you feel so special and important and the times that I did it my favorite time was when I did it with my mom and I brought her to Walt Disney World for the first time and she was just waving at everybody from the little car like she felt like she was a princess and it's just so sweet that something as simple as a like a vehicle can can bring so many good memories uh, and I love that they still have that a part of their you know their rope drop tradition so if you get there after rope drop you probably have never seen these vehicles and you don't even know what we're talking about but those that are my rope drop friends you know what these cars are and they're really fun and they're different and I love that he was a part of creating those yeah a detail that I read um after he created this first set of vehicles for Main Street um he went to Walt Disney himself and was like, look, we've got all these authentic cars. I feel like Main Street needs a fire engine. And Walt was like, cool, yeah, make one. And so he made a vintage fire engine for Main Street. And Walt ended up loving it so much that before the parks would open, he would just hop in and drive it around the park himself. So I feel like you have to be pretty dang good to get that type of response and approval from Walt Disney that he would want to just hop on himself and drive it around the parks. Um, But in addition to those vintage Main Street vehicles, what are some other things that are notable Bob Gurr designs and inventions? Yeah, so one thing is the Magic Skyway, which I would say is very similar to what you would now describe the Disney Skyliner. Um, it was a way to get around the parks, but more importantly about the the, um, the Magic Skyway is that it 
went through a hole in the Matterhorn, which was Disneyland's version of, I guess, Everest. That would be the closest thing for me to describe it to, which also was something that Bob Gurr helped design, which was the Matterhorn bobsleds, um, the ride vehicles for that specific attraction. So the fact that like the Skyway goes through it, it's like literally an intersection of of his work. (laughs) Yeah, I also read, so for the Matterhorn bobsleds, um, if you've never been to Disneyland, it's like an iron coaster type thing. Um, And when they asked him about designing it, he didn't have like the physics background for roller coaster design. And so not only did he design the way the vehicles looked, but he also helped to lay out the track. And in order for the roller coaster to work for the cars and the physics of everything to move smoothly, he actually taught himself the math and the physics and the sciences required to be able to lay out this track in a way that worked for the roller coaster and made sense. And I just think again, his like do it attitude of, well, I have never designed a roller coaster before, but let me teach myself on, you know, a quick timetable, all the things I need to know to be able to do this and do it well. And it's a ride that's still operating today. So I want to ask you if you were in Bob Gurr's shoes and you were approached to do a project like that, that you felt like you didn't have any knowledge about would you take his approach? Would you learn it and would you do it? Or would you say, you know what, this is a this is above my head. This is not my wheelhouse. I want somebody else to take over this project. So the way my mind works, I try to be as resourceful as possible. So my approach would be, I am delighted to have this opportunity. Thank you so much. Is there anyone that you can pair with me that has done this before that can walk me through the process. That would be my approach. I don't typically like to do things by myself anyways. Um, I know I'm capable of figuring things out, but I also am never hesitant to humble myself and say, Hey, I don't really know how to do this. Um, but I know you do. Do you want to join me? Um, and kind of share the burden and collaborate with people. I love doing that. So that would be my personal approach is I would ask to collaborate rather than be like, okay, I'm going to do this all on my own and teach myself and hope that it goes well. I'd be like, nah, fam, this is not in my wheelhouse. You need to find somebody else. I would be (laughs) like, I'd be too scared that I would do it or do with somebody and not work out and it fail. And then I'm like, I just create a roller coaster that could kill someone or like really damage them. I feel like I could not sit with that type of risk. So for me, I I would definitely like hand it completely off to somebody that I knew could handle it um, because I'm just not a risk taker, but that's what makes I'm, us different. I'm always eager to succeed. Like I fear the failure, but also I expect the failure to develop me and help me grow. So I'm always really eager for the success. Even if I do fail plenty of times on my journey to my personal career, I have failed several times and had to pick myself up and do it again. And I expected myself to make it to the end. Didn't necessarily wait for the failure to like swallow me whole. So I don't know. I think I would be like so giddy that Disney would approach me to do a project that I would like, 
absolutely do everything in my power to prevent myself from saying no. <laughs> oh, I, but I love that about you. It makes you so special. Yeah. But I also feel like you keep me balanced where you're like, okay, that's a great idea, but maybe we should pull pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the realism. So yeah, yeah I, no, I need that too come in and in those areas too okay what other attractions is he known for for projects so in addition to the skyway which was a part of the 1964 world's fair he also was a part of creating the very first audio animatronic which was for uh an attraction called something along the lines of like conversations with president Lincoln or conversations with Mr. Lincoln. And he created an Abraham Lincoln audio animatronic, which was one of the first times anything like this has ever been done. And just stop for a second and think about how many audio animatronics you see when you are on attractions in the parks without his contribution here, our experiences on attractions in Walt Disney world and Disneyland are drastically different. I mean, there are so many animatronics now to think that he created one of the first, like that makes him a legend within itself. Had, if he just did that and nothing else, like, there you go. You're a Disney legend. <laughs> like just think about spaceship earth by itself. How many audio animatronics are on that thing? Uh, a lot, a lot of freaking animatronics. presidents. There are 45, 46 <laughs> presidents now <laughs> so i mean there are lots of audio animatronics in the parks that are a direct result of his contribution to this 1964 world's fair abraham lincoln attraction um, yeah, which was widely popular and successful at the world's fair um and then i think some of the most important work that he's done or maybe the work with the biggest fan base is going to be this next thing. Do you know what I'm going to say? No. Okay. Well, there's several things, but the doom buggy. Oh, okay. I was thinking you were maybe going to go with monorail. Yeah. I think that that one's like popular for sure and very important, but I feel like there is a huge haunted mansion following. Like people are obsessed with the haunted mansion and the doom buggy is very much a part of the whole experience. I mean, I am not a big haunted mansion fan, don't come after me, Kate, but I'm not. But I mean, the vehicle, I would say it's impressive the way it rotates, the way it turns. Like, you better go ahead, Bob Gurr. So in general, with the Doom Buggy itself and other attractions that we'll mention in a minute, the idea of an Omnimover is again, a contribution from Bob Gurr. These Omnimovers are attractions throughout the parks. What that means is that it's a continuous track. It never stops moving. So these are going to be high traffic rides that can get so many guests on and off because the ride never stops. It's not like a roller coaster where there is a load and unload. There's a walkway that's always moving where pe people are constantly getting on or off, but the ride never stops. And so this Omnimover idea, starting with the Doom Buggy, um, I think is a kickstart again, just like other things we've mentioned to so many different things that we get to experience in Disney now. And so it's just this one idea, um, the, you know, Figment fans out there thinking about one little spark, mm. you know, Bob Gurr put out a lot of little sparks. <laughs> <laughs> 
He sure did. Um, in addition to that, he also was responsible for the submarine voyage, the people mover, which I huge fan. And like we mentioned already, the the Disney Walt Disney World monorail and Disneyland monorail systems, um, which if you have seen the Imagineering story, it's on Disney Plus. They're on the first episode that they have. It's a docu-series talking about how Disneyland and Disney World and the, just the Walt Disney Company has come to be. In this episode, you literally see Bob Gurr on a monorail just like watching everything around him and i think it is so sweet because how awesome it is is it to be his age and to look back and be like i am responsible for this like that's just a really cool thing i think to be a part of yeah well and not to mention that like the introduction of the monorail specifically like part of the introduction to Walt Disney World and the world in general. I think the idea um, came from Walt went on a trip to Germany um, or Europe somewhere and he came back and he was like, we need this. How do we make this? And it went through some iterations and some design processes to get to what we know it today. It started as like this very square boxy typical like train or subway type look and Bob Gurr designed this sleek futuristic like cylinder almost look to it um which is like his signature design trademark I guess for this particular monorail there are other monorails throughout the world but this monorail itself was like the first in the U.S. and the first with this design and it was so well received that it ended up having one of the original and first trains just being transported to Las Vegas and used in another part of the world outside of theme parks. I thought that was pretty cool that like his invention for this theme park turned out to be something that a huge city like Las Vegas would end up using for its own transportation of people. I mean, it definitely shows the impact that the Walt Disney Company has on the rest of the world. Yeah, and one of the very first people to take a ride on the monorail with him in Disneyland was Walt Disney, but also in Disney World was Richard Nixon, the president of the United States at the time. That's such a cool honor, honestly. I mean, in addition to the monorail, he also was responsible for the parking lot trams. These are the trams that you see that come and pick you up from your parking spot and take you directly to the entrance of the park, which they have been slowly coming back since COVID. And um, I love the trams. So it's really fun to look at all the things that we know today in our Disney world and know that like he was the one that was behind that. I think that's really incredible. Yeah. Just like that quote that you mentioned, if it's on wheels, I probably designed yep. it. <laughs> if it's on wheels... I probably designed it. So the next time you're in Disneyland or Disney World and you're in some type of real ride vehicle, you probably are in a ride vehicle created by Rob Gurr. <laughs> or at least inspired by his work. Yes, or consulted or something along the matter. It's like whenever you see a song and then you look at the end of the lyrics and it says written by and it has all those names. If it was, you know, like created by or inspired by, his name is probably in that list somewhere on every single attraction. <laughs> For sure. 
um, like all those little Easter eggs that people leave behind, if those existed when he was designing, like, you know, how at the end of flight of passage, the people who were responsible for flight of passage, like left their handprints on the wall. I know that there's a part in the imagineering story where he signed the wall on the Matterhorn, but like he would need to go sign a lot of different things. Oh yeah. I love that part. You get to kind of see the behind the scenes of what the like cast member area looks like in the Matterhorn. And they have, they do have this wall where all the cast members have signed it and he signed it. And I just think that's really cool. I, if you haven't seen that episode of the Imagineering story or the, the whole series of the Imagineering story, definitely go watch it. It's an awesome um, opportunity to see more behind the scenes of the company there's a lot of footage on there from the opening of disneyland from back in the 50s i mean, i when i was watching it i did not realize how much footage they had of this time and i was very fascinated watching it because i wasn't alive during any of that and so to be able to go back and watch and see what like the groundbreaking moments were of making the florida project and making walt disney world or the opening day of Disneyland. It's stuff that I never saw until I saw the Imagineering story. So it's definitely a um, fun show to watch if you're into that docu-series type of vibe. Yeah, I totally agree. Worth the watch. It's definitely docu-series. It's documentary based. Um, But if you love Disney, like Court and I love Disney, you will certainly enjoy this series. I like to I mean, I've watched it through one and a half times, but yeah, <laughs> I want them to come um, up with a season two. Yeah. There's so much that they could, could do if, with that series. And I would, I would even love like we're doing on the podcast. I would love like a Disney legend series. I mean, they have these award yeah. ceremonies and give these Disney legend awards to so many different people. I would love a series that just explains to people why certain individuals are recognized with this award. Um, but anyway, getting back to Bob Gurr. <laughs> back to Bob Gurr, moving on to more of the, I guess, the back end of his time with Disney, because he was with Disney for 40 years before he retired in 1981. He was 50 years old. But what happened kind of right before he um, retired? So before he retired, he obviously had this huge career where he was designing, designing, coming up with all these incredible things that we know and love about Disney today. And as he progressed in age and progressed in in time in Disney, they wanted to promote him and give him more managerial executive type roles to oversee other people. And so he was hired on or or elected to be a consultant for a lot of what was going on when they were developing and building um, Tokyo Disneyland. And through this time of managing all these different designers and engineers, Imagineers, and they're all coming to him with his designs for approval, he kind of felt like he lost his joy and his spark for what he did. He now was no longer doing the designing and doing what he felt was the fun work. And he was just basically putting stamps of approval on things. And so he started to kind of wane a little bit on how much he was enjoying his work at Disney and decided to express that in an executive meeting at some point and just said, Hey, look, like, I don't really love this managing role. I don't really want to be an overseer. I want to be a designer. And 
essentially from what I've read, their response to his complaint was, well, maybe then you should just resign and not work here anymore instead of trying to work with him on trying to figure out a role that would be better suited for him. They basically just said, you know, well, then maybe your time here is done. And so within a couple of weeks, he decided to retire and resign from the Walt Disney company and move on to other things. I, I really hate that. That's the way that his time ended though. Like I wish that Disney would have been more open to shifting his role because it's clear and obvious that he's a very talented designer and I would want I would want to think that Disney would be on board with that and wanting to continue to help people pursue their dreams but at the end of the day I I mean I know they're a business and they have to do what they have to do to move things forward it's just unfortunate that's the way that his time ended with the company Yeah, I agree. And I think that even though that's how it ended, based on what I know about what he does today, he still has so much fond memories and looks back with, you know, looks back with fondness on his time at Disney. Um, I don't know how much bitterness, you know, he left with, if he was upset by what happened or, um, if he just said, you know what, I think you're right. My time here is done. And, you know, you gave me an easy out basically. Um, and after that, he decided to essentially go out on his own. Yeah. He started, um, what was the name of his company? Oh, he went off to launch Gur Design Incorporated when he retired from Disney. And he actually went straight to a Disney competitor. He developed King Kong and Conan Serpent for Universal Hollywood. So very interesting that he went straight to Universal. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's just a testament to him basically reminding maybe people at Disney, but also himself of what he loves and what he's good at. And he's like, Hey, I'm really good at designing attractions. So I'm going to stick with that. And if that means I do it with your competitor, well, sorry. Yeah. I mean, he went on to do a lot of different types of projects after he retired from the Walt Disney company. What else did he, um, did he do during the eighties? Um, I think it's super cool and I'm almost, um, equally excited by his other projects as his Disney projects. Um, But one of them that I love that is on his resume is he did some of the special effects and design work for Michael Jackson's tour in the eighties. Like, I mean, we're talking Michael Jackson, you know, Michael Jackson is hiring the best of the best. So for Booker to be a part of his tour and designing like the special effects and things that happen for the show. I thought that was so cool that I would love to have that on my resume. That's amazing. Yeah, seriously. I mean, that's a big gig by itself. I mean, working for Disney is a huge gig too, but I mean, Disney, Michael Jackson, Universal, like all of those are huge. But then after that, he also decides to do another, like, yeah, just to um, put a little bit of sprinkles on top of the Sunday to remind you how good I am at my job. He decides to then take on the Olympics, the LA Summer Olympics. Yeah, he created a mysterious UFO, which I don't know much about this project. I'm not sure if you do, but 
all I read was that it was a mysterious UFO in either the opening ceremonies or the closing ceremonies of the 1984 Olympics. Okay, so with this closing ceremony at the Olympics, there's always some type of theatrics to it. And so from what I've read, the goal or the the theme of this closing ceremony was like aliens and spaceships and he designed Bobger designed this crazy ufo like it looked like a spaceship that came and floated over the stage for this closing ceremony and there was this like interaction between the stage and the ufo that made it seem like some type of communication was happening and then there was like an alien at some point and the blurb that i read said it was kind of supposed to be resembling um close encounters of the third kind the film um and so he created i mean if you think about like drone work and like things that happen today that are more common they were the most recent um olympics had this huge like drone segment to one of their ceremonies like this was probably a huge deal in the 80s you don't see a ton of stuff like this oh yeah people were probably absolutely amazed at this so that's an incredible part of his resume. Um, thanks for the clarity on that. Cause I was like, what was that? I could not remember what he was, what that was mentioning in the article, but okay. Let's see some other things that he went on to consult or be a part of. Um, he also consulted on the animated T-Rex feature that was in Jurassic Park, which I think that's an incredible thing that he got to be a part of. Um, and then also, um, was a part of different Disney projects, including working on the Ursula figure for Tokyo Disney Sea. So, like we said, he was still a part of different Disney projects. Um, so that's kind of a summary of some of the things that he worked on. Now, moving on to some of the like awards and things that he has been offered. In 1999, he was honored with the themed with the themed entertainment associations lifetime achievement award wow that's a very long award title <laughs> themed entertainment associations lifetime achievement award yeah i i mean that sums up what he did themed entertainment and his achievements were outstanding that the only way that they could describe it was lifetime achievement <laughs> yes i mean it is his whole life is so much to be proud of and he just accomplished so many things also in 2004 um he was given the disney legend award which is why he's one of our disney legends and on this episode but he was also um awarded having a window on main street and if you don't know what this is on um on main street usa there are tons of different buildings as you walk down the road and if you look closely and you look at all the windows there are certain names and descriptions that are a part of the window that are supposed to be a part of the theming you're kind of not supposed to notice it but it's little nods um we've mentioned it in past episodes where somebody has been given an honor to be on a window and he actually got this honor and has a window on in both disneyland and the magic kingdom yeah, so I think that this is really speaking to his impact in Disney to have your name up on a window on Main Street, either Disneyland or Disney World is a huge honor 
it's i mean walt disney's name is up there roy disney's name is up there you've got to be a pretty big wig in the disney history um line of events to make it up on a window and the former head of imagineering marty sklar who is somebody we should also do someday for one of these disney legend episodes the like list of requirements that he set out for giving somebody a spot on a window was that you could only do it when they're retired they have to have the highest level of service or achievement for Disney or the Disney company. And there has to be like a consensus or an agreement between Disney execs that this person gets approved for a window. So like, it wasn't like just some random person was like, oh yeah, Bob Gurr, sounds great. Like they were like, no, this guy is retired. Um, he has really reached the highest level of contribution that you can make for this company. And then a long list of people had to approve it as well. It's very interesting to think about who will be given a window feature feature in the future feature in the future (laughs) (laughs) but it is such a prestigious honor to have this and so um what does his what does his window say in disneyland so his window in disneyland is above um disney clothiers limited and it says leading the race to the future meteor cycle co our vehicles pass the test of time fast faultless and fadless is it's a reference to one bob ger's love of mountain biking in his personal life but two his contribution to vehicles in general and the parks and so they made it very relevant to something that he did for disney but also something that he personally just loves which i thought was a neat touch yeah i can't wait to go to disneyland and find his window and take a picture of it because the as i've been researching Bob Gurr for this episode, I've just gained such an appreciation for his work and also just for attractions. I didn't realize how much he contributed to the Walt Disney Parks. And so to know that now I have, I'm just really excited to go back and and to see all these attractions and understand like the person that created them or designed them and inspired um, their creation. So it's it's really awesome to learn these things. And I hope that from this episode, you get to leave with that type of gratitude as well for someone as incredible as Bob Gurr. Um, he did write a book that came out in 2012. It was titled Design Just for Fun. And like I said, it came out in 2012, but it has now since stopped printing. So the books are actually considered valuable collectibles. So if you have one of these books in your possession, you are currently holding a collectible item. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that at some point, either he or his publisher just said, yeah, we printed enough copies, we don't need any more. And now the people that do own this book are kind of holding on to a treasured item because there aren't any in production anymore. I'm sad that I do not have a copy. I must find one. Maybe there's one on eBay. Who knows? We'll have to look. I know it's probably really expensive, but we may have to look. So what's Bob doing today? Like we talked about all of his life and career and accomplishments. What are some of the things that he's doing today? Well, 
obviously he is a 90 year old man that's going to impact how much he's doing um even though you know he is very much still active and doing a lot um what he loves to do is stay at home in his own personal flight simulator excuse me (laughs) that when i read that i was like you're living your best life at 90 years old if you get to just your favorite thing to do is to ride your bike and to stay at home and use your flight simulator okay you're super cool yeah seriously i mean he probably built it himself so it's oh yeah for sure one of a kind um but something else that he's done for a while which i think is so phenomenal and again going back to him having so many fond things memories whatever you want to consider it but so many fond things to say about disney he has been offering bus tours called bob gers waltland so he literally loads people on buses and takes them on tours of things and memories and locations that are a part of his career journey memories of Walt. Like how incredible is that? That's so fun. He also has an Instagram. Like he is active on Instagram. Isn't that isn't that crazy being 90 years old and being an active on social media? <laughs> Caitlin's showing me a picture right now of Bob Gurr waving. Is that part of his bus tour? Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, he's also the last living member of the original Imagineers. To be the last living member of those original Imagineers. He's such an icon. Yeah, seriously. I feel like it has to be hard to see people that you worked really closely with, built this incredible kingdom with, and kind of feel like you're the last one standing. Um, But it seems like he does it with so much joy and grace that he's just thankful for what he's done and the opportunities he's had through Disney. And um, I really respect that he's continued to make it a part of his retirement and his every day and is proud of what he did with his career and time and wants people to know about it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, gosh, we covered a lot of content here. Is there anything else you want to add about Bob Gurr? I just want to like quickly take you through a virtual day going to the magic kingdom and you pull into the magic kingdom parking lot and you hop on a tram to take you up to tnt bobger number one then you go up to ride the monorail to take you to magic kingdom park bobger number two and then you get to main street and you've just rope dropped and you see those main street vehicles bobger number three and then you're walking down Main Street and you see his window because he's so awesome, Bobker 4. And then you go straight back and you want to get on any of these attractions throughout Magic Kingdom and they have audio animatronics, Bobker 5. And then you want to ride People Mover or Haunted Mansion or The Little Mermaid and you get on these Omni Mover rides, Bobker 6 or 7 or whatever. I mean, like he is from beginning to end responsible for your experience in in Walt Disney Parks. It just, when you sit and think about it, blows my mind. And I think that it's one of the things that I love about what you and I do in doing this research and doing this episode is I think it adds so much value to your experience when 
you have so much appreciation for this park, but then knowing who did what and who is responsible for it and who you have to thank for this amazing thing that you get to go and do. Yeah, definitely. It just puts it all into perspective for your experience at Disney Park. So definitely the next time that you are visiting Walt Disney World, just remember like who has made a lot of this happen for you. Um, I've really enjoyed going through the life of Bob Gurr and talking about all of his accomplishments. Bob, if you're listening, um, you're incredible. You think you're amazing and thank you for all that you've done, but thank you for listening. And we're going to turn things over to Kelly from Kelly's Magical Vacations for our trip tip. this is Kelly from Kelly's Magical Vacations, the official travel partner of the Castle Chat, and I am so excited to bring you today's trip tip. This one won't come as a surprise that one of the biggest questions I get is, are there ways to save money on your Disney vacation? And of course, the answer is yes. One way that you can save 5% on your Disney vacation is actually purchasing Disney gift cards using your Target Red Card. Target Red Card holders will get 5% back on any purchase that they make in Target, and that includes gift cards, including Disney gift cards you can then use your Disney gift cards to pay down your Disney vacation package. There's other retailers that offer this, so if you don't shop at Target or you're not a Target red card holder, be sure to check out other places as well. Be sure to head over to Kelly's Magical Vacations on Instagram for all your Disney tips and tricks. And if you are looking to plan a Disney vacation, you can head to the Castle Chats Instagram, click that link in their bio, and there will be a form that you can fill out so that we can start planning and I can help you with everything from your accommodations to your tickets to your dining and everything in between. Man, Kelly has amazing trip tips. If you are not following her on Instagram, you definitely need to check her out at Kelly's Magical Vacations. There's also a link in our bio where you can go and actually fill out a form to get in contact with Kelly and she can help plan your next Disney family vacation, your solo trip, your couple's trip whatever that looks like. Um, Her services are complimentary. They are free and we love being able to partner with her and having her as our sponsor for the Castle Chat. So we love you, Kelly. Thank you for um, what you do for all the families that are wanting to have a Disney trip. I just wanted to throw that in there before we go on to our small shop shout out. Small shop shout out. Oh, shouting them out week after week. Here we are. We are back with another small shop shout out. And this week we've got a very iconic small shop that I'm sure a lot of you are aware of. They go back. They just celebrated their sixth year anniversary and they are the Lost Bros. So if you are not familiar with the Lost Bros, what are you doing? Um, they're everywhere. (laughs) I have not been to a Disney park in several years and not seen some of their work, some of their designs, some of their apparel. They are very, very good at what they do. And I respect the way they run their business so much. They're so genuine and authentic, regardless of how massive they've become in the last six years. They host these like get togethers on a regular basis where they just tell people where they're going to be hanging out. They have fun events for people that appreciate what they do and give so much back to um, the Disney community. And I 
not only want to shout out their design work and their product because what they have marketed and what they've come up with they have these jersey style shirts in addition to so many other designs but their jersey style shirts are kind of their staple and how they started um and they're basically like if you can imagine like a baseball jersey or like a sports jersey but for various disney characters um that's kind of how their design started and they also are responsible for the drinking around the world tour short shirts that you might see frequently when you are in epcot um but they are cool humans good at what they do and i not only love their designs but i just think they're incredible humans yes it's so fun getting to follow them on social media they come out with new designs so frequently i am amazed at how creative they are the design work that they come up with it's very vibrant uh it's super super creative and like I said, their designs are coming out so frequently, like they're constantly providing new content for um, for their consumers and their shirts are high quality and beautiful designs. And like I said, they are just booming. They've been growing their business for six years. And so if you do not know the Lost Bros yet, you need to go ahead, go to Instagram, follow them at the Lost Bros. And if you already know who they are, continue to give them love, support their business and um, just who they are as people. Like we said, they are incredible and we're grateful to be a part of the Disney community with them. Okay, guys, next week we are bringing you a brand new episode, which we have not had yet on the Castle Chat that we are really excited about. Caitlin, what is our newest episode going to be? So in going through our um, set list, if you will, for season four, some things that we've already talked about, just reiterating, we had some episodes previously that we really loved and thought were fun and creative, but in terms of longevity, we were just kind of running out of ideas. So what we have come up with to replace some of our older episodes and bring you a little spice in season four, we are coming out with our next episode, which will be entitled our top blank. And every season we will fill in the blank with something that is some of our top things to do, eat, see, experience in Disney in general, and whether it be inside or out of the parks, it's just something that we talk about in general, we love to talk about, and we would love to share with you our opinions on on certain things and what our favorites are um, and get feedback from you as well. I think it opens a really good um, door of conversation for us to be having with you guys. So next week, we are going to have our first version of this episode, and it is going to be entitled Our Top Places to Relax in Walt Disney World. So buckle up for that one because that's an exciting one to me because relaxing in Disney is hard to come by and if you can find a good spot to do it you better take it yeah definitely a different approach to how you would take on Disney but we are big advocates for rest and making sure that you 
stay healthy and keep your Disney vacation going, but sometimes that requires you to slow down. So we will be talking about all the best rest spots and places to relax throughout Walt Disney World. So you don't want to miss next week's episode. Um, Until then, you can catch us on Instagram. You can find us at the Castle Chat or you can send us an email, thecastlechat at gmail.com. You can also drop us a DM, start a conversation with us. We love being able to talk to you guys. Or you can leave us a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts. It's amazing when we get to read um, the experience that you're having while listening to our podcast. So definitely give us um, positive, negative, constructive feedback. We love to hear it all so we can continue to make this podcast special for you guys. Um, But until then, we will leave you with what we always leave you with, which is there's a great big beautiful tomorrow out there waiting for you. Go make it magical. See you real soon. Bye, friends. See ya.